This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is John Lynch, 49ers GM and Pro Football Hall of Famer, and you're listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest 4-2. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Eye Test for Two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. We are Hall of Fame voters who today will try to make sense of Tuesday's senior and coaches votes for Canton's class of 2022 with one of those who is in the middle of it all. And that's our good friend and Hall of Fame voter, Mr. Ron Borges of the Talk of Fame Network. Yes, the Talk of Fame Network, a member of the Senior and Coaches Committee. And he was there yesterday, meaning Tuesday, for the voting, as I mentioned. But first, with the help of our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon, I want to try to make sense of something disturbing, guys, that I just read. And that's that eating a hot dog could apparently take 36 minutes off your life. Really? I mean, how do they know that? And, and what, if any impact, is that going to have, Ira, on your next trip to the trop? Clark, I, I spent half my childhood at Nathan's Famous in Coney Island. Eating hot dogs. <laughs> I'm, I'm in trouble, uh, gentlemen. <laughs> How about you, Ian? Is that going to have any impact on you? I, I'm more concerned about Joey Chestnut, to be honest yeah, with you. Exactly. As soon as I saw that, that's all I was thinking about. 76 oh, hot my. dogs every year during that thing. Oof. Well, what I'm going to ask you here is if, if that's accurate, 36 minutes is accurate, how many days, weeks, months, years you think you guys have lost? How about you, Ira? I'm down six years, and uh, and and if we did lobster rolls, Borges is down ten. <laughs> How about you? Ian? <laughs> uh, I I would I would say definitely in the double digits because there was a good stretch of time in my childhood where uh, hot dog eating contest twelve, thirteen at a time at a family barbecue was oh, was no problem. Oh, so my. oh my God, Joey Chestnut has nothing on you. Well, Ira, since you mentioned Mr. Borges, maybe we should ask him, Ronnie. Uh, how many that years? Way, oh. Decades, Fenway Frank. Are you kidding me? Big ass Frank. <laughs> that sounds like Ron's in Fenway, in the bowels of Fenway. Anyway, Ronnie, you're a Hall of Fame voter, and you were one of five Hall of Fame voters on the senior committee who sat in on Tuesday's Zoom call that produced Cliff Branch as the senior nominee and Dick Vermeil as the coaching nominee for the class of 2022. First question How difficult were those choices, and how long was the afternoon? Well, I can tell you, uh, it was supposed to end at one thirty, and it ended uh, a little before 4 o'clock. So that gives you an idea. Uh, when it came to uh, both touchdowns, we ended up, uh, I think there were six votes before we had a player. And if I remember right, I can't remember it was four or five votes before we had the coach. So uh, uh, we, we had 16 players initially. We, our first vote was to cut it to 10, and uh, we cut it from 16 to 14. <laughs> That's how it went. It was, uh, was obviously a big long, split, so long. You know, between, you know, so so it was it was uh, it's always tough. You know, if you look at the list of senior candidates, uh, there were only one or two where you sort of said, well, you know, you can eliminate this, this particular guy. Maybe Hall a very good 
but everybody else had pretty strong resumes. Okay, since you mentioned the seniors, let's go there. First things first, Cliff Branch. Now, I know you're an advocate, so are many others, including the Hall of Famer Drew Pearson, who was a consultant for the senior committee. Right. Yet, yet he wasn't the first runner-up last year as a senior candidate. Ken Riley of the Bengals was. You know that. I know that. So does uh, Ira, and I assume now Ian does, too. You want to tell Bengals fans what happened to Riley and why? <laughs> I'm sort of wondering myself, he you know, he made it through a couple of rounds, and then uh, then he disappeared. Uh, now he had some, you know, a couple of different voters from a year ago, so that's probably part of it. Um, uh, I, I, it's hard to really explain, you know, because uh, people are looking for consistency, um, but it's really not as simple as that because the pool is so deep that if you change one or two, you know, there's nine people on the committee, but only five vote in any uh, one year on who the nominee is going to be. So if you change the mix by uh, two people, well, then you can you can get two completely different uh, guys as, a, as finalists. And that's pretty much what how it went down in, in this case. Uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting. The consultants were uh, Joe Horgan, a uh, long-time uh, Kubak, and uh, of the Hall of Fame, and uh, Drew, as you mentioned, and they had four players that they ranked, both ranked either four or, in one case, Joe was splitting hairs, and he gave a guy a 3.8, and uh, Cliff was one of those four. Uh, so if you went off of what the consultants thought, uh, you know, we got the right guy. But of course, we never get the right guy because there's always somebody who says, "No, you should have been somebody else." You know, you can't. Yeah. Can't, right. can't really. Can't really. Yeah. And, and Ron, just to be clear, that's that's four on a scale of one to five. Five being the best, one being the lowest. No, uh, no, they changed that scale. It's one to four now. So. Oh, one to four. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, so you're now a four, Judge. You're now a four point zero. My wife told me that when I was dating her. You're a four, uh, Ron. One thing I've noticed on social media, and, and I know you're going to tell me, Ira, get off social media. It's not doing you any yeah, good. Yeah, there's your first mistake right there. <laughs> Anti-social media is what you're talking about. But, Ron, B Bengal Nation. Bengal Nation. I mean, they're a force. They are a force on Twitter. I've been on a couple of shows in Cincinnati. And, you know, Ron, they're, they're passionate. And, and we can't knock that. They're adamant that no. Riley and, An and Anderson deserve a look, even maybe even a Lamar Parrish. But, Clark, I, I'm – and, and, Ron, I, I think you'd agree with me, Ron. It, it's no knock on the Bengals. I mean, Cliff Branch is, is a very worthy nominee. He was a feared player. You, you had to uh, game plan for the guy, which I think is critical. Uh, I wouldn't say he's the first, you know, big-time deep threat. You know, Bob Hayes came before him or whatever. But, Ron, what's your message to Bengal Nation? I mean, they're going to have their day, but you can't knock Cliff Branch. No, I don't think you can, you know, and that's, that's often the problem. You know, you can't, uh, you know, people will be yelling and screaming, how you going to put in this guy? How'd you put in, not put in this guy? And whenever I say to them, well, okay, which one of the guys on the list do you want to knock off? They never want to knock anybody off. They just want their guy in. And it doesn't, as you guys know, it doesn't work like that. You only got five seats, you know, you don't have 15 seats. So uh, the, the Bengal Nation, you know, the, the, the part of their argument that I think is legitimate, they only have one player in the history of their team, Anthony Munoz, in the Hall of Fame. Uh, 
right. they did go to a couple Super Bowls. You know, it's kind of hard to believe they didn't have another top shelf player. Uh, the debate on Riley is always interesting because, you know, he had no Pro Bowls, and his other corner, Lamar Parrish, had eight when they played. They were contemporaries. Uh, Dick LeBeau, uh, we learned, somebody had talked to him, and Dick had an interesting take on that. Uh, and what Dick said was, one of the reasons, the main reason for that was that when the, you know, in those days, the players and coaches, they picked the team. And their position was, if you took Lamar Parrish, you got a top draw cornerback, but also a guy who could return kicks and punts. So you were getting two players at one cost. And they were trying to uh, save money. Or my guess is what they were actually trying to do was, you know, reduce the, the split. I mean, increase the split for each individual guy, which was only about 1500 bucks in those days. Um, to which I say, that's why NFL players still don't have free agency. What do they care what the budget is for the Pro Bowl? They're not paying it, you know, but, but that's what LeBeau claimed it, it was about. Uh, whatever it was, he led the AFC in interceptions at 37 years old in his final season, and he didn't make the Pro Bowl. He led the NFL in interceptions one year. He didn't make the Pro Bowl. So much for the Pro Bowl, in my mind. <laughs> and some people try to argue, well, you know, that's because they were thrown in his direction. Well, if they were, then they were pretty stupid, but he's got 65 picks, which is as many as Charles Woodson, and I think third highest in the uh, amongst Hall of Famers or Hall of Fame eligible uh, uh, players. So uh, it's baffling. Kenny Anderson is a little bit more of a difficult thing in that he didn't win any championships, and, you know, quarterbacks and coaches are judged by their jewelry, and he doesn't have any. So that works against him. And... Um, you know, he's got some good stats. He's, he led the NFL in passing three, four times and in two different eras. Uh, but a lot of people, uh, football people, I mean, will tell you he was a system quarterback. He was just, he was more a product of the system than a creator of the system. So I think that probably works against him too. Uh, but I understand why they're mad. You know, I mean, they, uh, you know, they don't even get a guy talked about very often, let alone in the Hall of Fame. So, but, and having said all and, of that, there's no way you can argue that Cliff Branch, in my mind, wasn't a Hall of Fame player because he was. I'm with you on that, uh, Ron. And uh, Ron, look, the bigger point, let's let's be honest here. And Clark talks about it all the time. And, and Rick Goslin, God bless him, is the, is the leader. Um, Ron, the problem is uh, one slot for the uh, senior candidate. It's just not getting the job done, Ron. And I'm not sure that's ever going to change at this point. No, I mean, we, we are in there every year complaining and saying, let's go back to at least a two a year like we used to have. But you're right. It, look, it, it, every year you're getting another 50, 100, however many players dumped in there. Uh, and you've got uh, people already in there just getting pushed further down and further down and further down. And it's, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a real problem. You've got a guy like Maxi Bond went to nine Pro Bowls in 10 years, went to more Pro Bowls, than the all-decade linebackers uh, of, of the 60s combined, yet he's not in the Hall of Fame. You know, you got uh, uh, Eddie Metter, who was not in the Hall of Fame, quite frankly, because he was a union activist. That's why he's not in the Hall of Fame, uh, in my opinion. In those days, uh, in the 70s, most of the writers were an extension of management, which will surprise you guys uh, to know that I'm not an extension. 
<laughs> so, uh, but that, you know, but, but that's the reality. That's the true thing. That's not. That didn't make it up. That, that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame. All he, they had three all-decade safeties in the '60s. Two of them in the Hall of Fame. The Union activists. Is, you know, is it right? No. Can we fix it? I don't know. I mean, he's 84 years old now. He was on the list again this year, and he got knocked out. You know, pretty early. Uh, second, second ballot, I think. Uh, so, I think the hope, I the hope that I had, and I think you guys shared, was that the Centennial Committee was going to take care of a lot of those guys from the '40s, '50s, and '60s. But that isn't what they did. They put in guys like Harold Carmichael and, and, uh, and you know Drew Pearson and, and uh, Jimmy Johnson instead of Buddy Park in the coaching end. So they didn't solve the problem either. So you're, I think you're right, Ira. I think it's a problem that's not going to be solved. We're speaking with Hall of Fame voter Ron Borges, who's a member of the Senior and Coaches Committee that met on Tuesday and brought out Cliff Branch and Dick Vermeil. And just for the record, Ron is not a management guy. Just to make clear we're on that, he is not a management guy, as anyone who covers this league would know. But maybe you out there do not know. Anyway, I can honestly say in that case, ask anybody. <laughs> ask, anybody. Yeah. ask anybody um but as ron knows um when i got the word yesterday cliff branch and dick Vermeil, ron would i say dick Vermeil? dick <laughs> yeah. Vermeil? Yeah. what happened right. to buddy parker and there was really no well, explanation and and i'm not trying to knock dick Vermeil, but to me and and i i i don't know if i'm playing to the crowd or not but to me buddy parker was clearly the most eligible and electable of the seven candidates for the, the coach's uh, position. He had two NFL titles. He went to three straight conference championship games, 52, 53, and 54, won two of those. All three were against the Cleveland Browns and Paul Brown. And I know you say, well, so what? So, so what? Paul Brown was seven and three in championship games. Two of those three losses were to one guy. That's Buddy Parker. Buddy Parker also was the architect of the 1957 Lions team that ended up winning the championship. He left just before the season because of uh, conflict with management, went to Pittsburgh, where he had a great second career. But Buddy Parker had a better winning percentage regular season. He had a better playoff percentage regular season, uh, in, in the playoffs, I mean, uh, than Dick Vermeil. And, and he didn't have as many wins because he played in 12 game years, you know, until they went to 14. But Vermeil's 14 and 16. As I said, I'm not trying to knock Vermeil here, but I, I, you could have knocked me over with a feather when Ron said, Buddy Parker's not going in. And as I understand, he was the first runner up. But Ron, I, I guess I would like to know this. Um, Buddy Parker, in a sense, was Jimmy Johnson of the 1950s, except he wasn't. He was better, actually. Uh, he took that team to three straight championship games and then set them up for a fourth one and actually had a second career that was, was good in Pittsburgh with a really bad team. Um, yeah, Jimmy Johnson's in the hall. Buddy Parker is not. You want to illuminate uh, that conf conflict there and explain what's going on? Uh, because he was the first run-up last year. He didn't make it to the Centennial class. He was the first run-up this year. I'm getting the feeling Buddy Parker's never going in. Well, I think you're probably right about that. And I was dumbstruck by the whole way things went. Uh, first off, you take uh, what we're talking about here. Uh, the team that Parker created in Detroit 
uh, also beat Paul Brown, Cleveland Brown, in 1957 when he quit in training camp because he was he wanted a two-year contract extension. They wouldn't give it to him. So he right. quit, and a month later signed a five-year deal with the Steelers who hadn't had a winning season in you know in decades. Yeah. And uh, they immediately won, won with him and came within a game of twice uh, making the playoffs. Uh, and after he left, uh, they didn't have a winning season for six more years after he left. So uh, I, it's baffling. What's more baffling to me is we had seven candidates. We put in the guy with the lowest winning percentage, uh, a guy who was six and five in the playoffs, uh, a guy who won, uh, he did win one Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, I believe he had seven losing seasons in his last nine years as a head coach. Uh, and look, we all love Dick Vermeil. If, if this was, and I said this in the room, if this is, if we were voting on the uh, great guy Hall of Fame, yeah, first right. ballot. Right. We're voting about the kind of moral Hall of Fame, as far as I know, first ballot. Yep. If we're voting on the Lunatic Hall of Fame, first ballot. You know, because you'd always you know, break down in tears and all those things. But we weren't. We were voting for coaching. In the, in, and to me, and I said this at, at, during a meeting, uh, coaches are there for two things and two things only. Win games, win championships. And it came down to the, the last three with Dan Reed, uh, who did not win a championship, uh, but is one of only nine guys to win 200 games. Uh, he went. He took the teams to five Super Bowls. Uh, he didn't win those Super Bowls, uh, but they got there. And and then we had Parker with a nearly sixty percent win percentage, five eighty and change, seventy five percent winning percentage in playoff games. Of course, there was one a year in those days. Or a guy with a fifty two percent winning percentage, one championship and a fifty two percent. Six and five record in the playoffs, and that's the guy we put in. We yeah, had no, Barney Schottenheimer, who had who had even more wins, you know, and I had bad playoff record. So yeah. I, I was the head scratching. Uh, but there were a couple guys there who remain anonymous, but just could not convince them. Uh, one guy was arguing, well, you know, and this is a very dangerous argument if you ask me. Uh, He's been 60 years eligible, and you know why is the people who knew him better uh, put in put him in before this? To which I said, "Well, you know what? We're on the senior committee. You can say that about every guy on this list." That's correct. Yeah. You know why? Why did we have to wait 28? This guy waiting 28 years. This guy's waiting 35. This guy's waiting 40. This guy's waiting 45. Part of the reason some guys are waiting is people are stupid. I mean, the Centennial Committee was not designed to put in Jimmy Johnson and Bill Tower. Right. It was designed to put in a guy like Buddy Park. Yeah, and, and clean up Ryan, that for, mess. They didn't for do the it. Re- for the record, I mean, Jerry Kramer had to wait 45 years, and he was the only guard on the 50th anniversary team. He somehow slipped through the cracks. But uh, and also for but, the record, just want to make sure we understand: in his last nine seasons, Vermeil had had all but uh, all but three of his seasons were non-winning, not losing, but all but three of his seasons were non-winning in his last nine years. Right. But, and again, as I said, I, it, Ron's right. We're not here to try to knock Dick Vermeule. We're just here to say, what's going on with the voting process? Because when you look at these two uh, resumes, it's kind of hard to pick one over the other when that one is a guy who's got 
a, a lower winning percentage, hasn't won as many championships, that sort of thing. And, and Ron, I'll get you asked it, maybe this last question here, but what does this mean for Buddy Parker going forward? And, and really, Don Coriel, who's been a finalist six times, six times more than right. any other coaching candidate. What does it mean for those guys? Because, as I said, not just Buddy Parker. I now am of the opinion Don Coriel is never getting in. Yeah, I'll tell you what it means. Bum, 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 bum. Tap. It's over. You know, they're not going to – I mean, maybe, maybe you know, look, you can always be surprised, but I just think that, you know, Parker maybe still is alive because he was the – you know, he was the last – you know, when the last two guys standing, he was one of the last two. Um, but each year that goes by, uh, you know, older guys like myself, eventually you dwindle off the list. You know, next year is my 20th year. Am I going to get five more years? Highly unlikely. So now you're going to bring in another guy who, unless he really does a lot of homework, is going to know even less about Buddy Parker. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Buddy Parker was first, name first came up. My, I knew he had been a great coach of the life. But my sense of him in Pittsburgh was that they stunk and he stunk. Until yeah. I did some research, yeah. then you realize they weren't quite as odorous as you thought. You know, they were before he got there and after he got there, but not when he got there. So, yeah, that's uh, right. You have to right. do some, but I think you know, and, and I think Corey Hall's in the same boat, you know. Um, but Parker checks all the boxes. I mean, in Corey Hall, you can say, look, he didn't win. You know, he didn't win the championship game. He didn't win. You know, he had opportunities. He didn't do it. Uh, he didn't even get a team to the Super Bowl. So at least he's got a hole in his resume. Parker has no hole in his resume. Dipper right. Meal was aerated. He had a lot of holes in his resume. Um, yeah. But you know, he didn't win a championship, and obviously that counts for something. But, yeah, it was a head-scratcher uh, for me. Um, and Dan Reeves the same way. You know, you got 200 wins. There's only nine guys in history have 200 wins. That should count for something, whether you won a championship or not. So, to me, uh, Marty Schottenheimer, same way. Uh, those guys all had, I would argue, more uh, impressive resumes than than Dick Vermeil, but and I and I don't want to be knocking Dick Vermeil. Like I said, he's a wonderful guy, and he won the championship, yep. and he he rebuilt the Eagles. Now some people argued he took on bad teams, you know, that were a mess. Certainly the Eagles were a mess when he got there. They didn't have a first, they didn't even have a first round. They had no players and no first round draft picks for two years. So yeah, he did a tremendous job there. All credit to him, and you know, and he did a a decent turnaround job in, in St. Louis. Uh, but you know, it's just. Uh, I, I felt bad for Parker because each year that goes by, he fades more and more. Into yep. it. And the same yep. thing with the seniors. Yep. Those guys who were in the uh, uh, played in the '60s or the '50s or the '40s, I think they're all DOA. I mean, it's just unfortunate. And that's that's uh, that's the problem, as Iris said earlier. You don't have enough seats at the dance. Ron, um, one more for me, Ron. Thanks for your time, baby. Sure. Now. Ron, you mentioned this guy's name two or three times, but I'm looking at him and I'm looking at him hard, Ron. Um, yep. And I agree, Buddy Parker deserves to get in. But in the next three or four years, Ron, I'm, I'm looking hard at Schottenheimer. Now, Ron, here are the guys with more wins. Shula, Hallis, Belichick, Landry, Lambeau, Andy Reid, who's going in. That's it. That's the whole list. He's got a 61% winning percentage, Ron. 61, not 52. Right. Um, he had two losing seasons in 21 years, Ron. Two. 
and 11 double double digit win seasons. Now, Ron, there was a game, I think it's the last game he ever coached. And I bet you you were there because it was against the Pats, the 06 season. And they were 14 and 2, the Ladanian Tomlinson season. The guy was unbelievable. And they're, they're beating New England by eight points, Ron. The six minutes left, Brady throws a pick. And the guy returns the interception and fumbles. And New England gets the ball back. They score. They get the two-pointer. Then they kick the field goal that wins it. Ron, that's the story of Schottenheimer's life. Crazy things happen to this guy. Yeah, no, you're right. Look, I mean, as we all know, the killer for him is his playoff record is abysmal. It's 230. His winning percentage is something like 333. I mean, it's abysmal. It's not just close. So that's bad, and that obviously works against you. Having said that, like you say, he won 61% of his games. He won over 200 games. Uh, and, you know, he never had a quarterback. He had Joe Montana at the end of his career as the best quarterback he ever had. I mean, he was winning with Elvis Gerback uh, and, and Steve Bono and Elvis right. Presley, for God's sake. You know, uh, now having said that, I would say this. You're right. I was at that game, and this is the way I look at coaching. That was a nitwit play. That, all that guy had to do was lay down on the ground. The game was over. Patriots were out of timeouts. The game was over. Instead, he tries to return it. He gets the ball punched out by Troy Brown. Patriots recover, score, boom, boom, boom. The rest is, is history. To a degree, I blame that. I, mean, I blame it on the player, but I also blame it to a degree on the coach because that's coaching. you got to know. Your players have to know the situation. Why do they make these mistakes? And why do they say after the game, quote, I do the same thing again. What? <laughs> you know what? I mean, if that was my player, he wouldn't have been able to say I'd do the same thing again because I would have choked him to death in the locker room after the game. Uh, you know, but so that's a little bit of a knock on on, on Marty. But I think he's got a, a hell of a resume that's going to be hard to, to to keep out. You know, I mean, like you say, there's only nine guys in the history with that that many wins. Uh, Wins count. And Coaches, to me, it's, as I say, it's wins and championships. Uh, and uh, really not Clark, he went, Clark, he went 14-2, and two, Clark, in his last season. His very last season, 14-2. and two. Yeah, I know. I, right. I mean, I was, I was covering the Chargers. Not then, but I know that. And I know how, how heartbroken the people there were. But I think Ron's right. that The elephant in the room is that 5-13 and 13 playoff record. If you're going to knock Coriel for his playoff record, you're going to have to knock Schottenheimer as well. So we'll see what happens. But well, I yeah, I'll tell you, one last – one last thing, Clark, about Chelsea, uh, about the Schottenheimer. I believe I got this right. His team was the number one seed three different times. Yeah. And yep. didn't get to, didn't get to the conference championship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You got to explain that somehow if you're making the case for him. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, which you know, uh, which your colleague, who I now call Mister Joe Buck, because he sits in the with the rich guy seat, he used to be. Joe. Joe Buck. You know, now, now he's Mr. <laughs> Joe Buck. Uh, but, you know, you're going to have explaining to do when you're trying to get Bruce Arians in there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ronnie, Ron Borges, always a slice. Thanks for joining us. And you know what, Ron? Thanks for keeping me entertained in Canton while we watched Ira on TV in the VIP seats. <laughs> I can tell Thanks, you one Ronnie. thing. I can tell you guys one thing. While Clark and I were in danger of taking years off our lives eating hot dogs outside in the heat in front of the uh, uh, Hall of Fame. Mr. Joe Buck was in some some air-conditioned, high-polluting room eating shrimp. 
but that's all right. We're still I love the food at Lynch's party was tremendous. Tremendous. I'll bet it was. I'll bet it was. <laughs> we wouldn't know. Hey, Ron, thanks. Thanks, Okay, Ron. guys. We'll see you. Bye now. That was Hall of Fame voter Ron Borges. And I, I, I'm not going to go much deeper into this, but I got to be honest with you. I, I just was just so disappointed and, and really outraged that Buddy Parker didn't make it. I don't know what he has, needs to do. He, he can't do anything more than he's done. Ron Twain's checked all the boxes. He's running out of time, Cluck. If he doesn't get yep. in the next yep. couple of years, he, he's done. He's done. Um, and I hope he's not done. Yep, that's right. Um, hey, Cluck, uh, one I, quick I thing, too. Cluck. Cluck, one quick yep. thing. I want you to uh, give me your thought on this. Uh, NFL issued a memo yesterday, Clark. Uh, you're not surprised about locker room access. Right. There will be zero. Zero in 2021. All right, say what you want about COVID. Clark, I'll pose this question to you. You've been doing this as long as I have. We ever getting in the locker room again, Clark? We ever get? I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I mean, the cynical side of me says uh, maybe not, but the realistic side says yes. I think they like the fact that they can keep a distance between the media and the players. And I'm talking about the clubs, especially the NFL would like to open it up. But I think eventually, once this thing passes, but that's the question: When does it pass, or does it ever pass? We're always going to be living with this and and living with masks. I don't know that. I I think the answer is not really up to the NFL. I think it's up to COVID and how that plays itself out. But uh, yeah, I was disturbed to see that as well. Um, All right. Any closing thoughts? Final thoughts? Well, the Bucks are zero and two in the preseason. Oh no! uh, Oh no! And and the Houston Texans are two and zero. So Buck fans are freaking out. Put your money on the Texans, right? That's what John McLean says. Remember when he was on our show? Maybe the, yeah. <laughs> maybe the first Texans team to go 0-16 and 16 and have the first pick in the draft. They're going to have 0-17, uh, Clark. Oh, 0-17. The first pick yeah. ever. That's right. It's the first pick ever, 0-17. Hey, my final thoughts right in your wheelhouse, Ira. Um, we lost two Hall of Famers in the past week. And I'm not talking about pro football. I'm talking about rock and roll. Don Everly, age of 84. Everly Brothers, gone. Charlie Watts, as you know, drummer for the Stones, gone at 80. Got anything to say about either of those two? And uh, what I'd like to know is your favorite Everly Brothers song and your favorite Stones song. My favorite Everly Brothers song is Let It Be Me, uh, a, a beautiful ballad. Their harmonies were fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Tremendous. Simon yeah. and Garfunkel wanted to be the Everly Brothers. They did. Uh, yeah. favorite, favorite Stones song. I would say um, All Down the Line. All down oh, the whoa. line, the, the Mick Taylor years. How do you like that, Clark? I yeah, Mick, I remember Mick Taylor very well. Uh, as a matter of fact, my favorite song of the Stones was the one that we opened our show with. And, and it's actually Mick Taylor on rhythm guitar right now. And Ian, if you can play it, go ahead and play it, please. There it is. Give me shelter. Love this song with Mary Clayton. Hey, that's going to do it. Remember, if you want to listen to this or any of our podcasts, just look for us at fullpresscoverage.com. Click on the podcast icon, then click the eye test for two. Thanks again to Ron Borges, Hall of Famer, for joining us. Hall of Fame producer Ian Glennon for making the show possible and you for listening to us. We'll see you next week here at, where are The eye test for two, baby. The eye test for two. You got it. Thanks for listening.